0: chapter 14 verses 15 through 31 I'll give you a moment to get there if you love me you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here.
1: If you're a man and you love a woman, how do you know that the way you love her, you should marry her? Or, if you're a woman and you love a man, how do you know that you love him with the kind of love with which you should marry him? him. And I don't have to answer it this morning because we have Ryan and Karina here, so come on up and tell us. How do you know? (laughs) But just in case they weren't ready for that, I'll go ahead and give you my input on it. (laughs) Is it your great joy to please them? Are your desires, your decisions and deeds being increasingly shaped by them? Are you eager to get to know them more, and do you love to spend time with them? Do you love communicating with them? When you sin against them, not that that's ever happened with Ryan and Karina yet, but does it hurt your heart deeply, and do you seek forgiveness and reconciliation? Are they often on your mind and on your lips? meaning you speak of them, not just kissing them, although you may do that too. Do you love to honor them? Do you want to enter into a covenant relationship with, of devotion to them exclusively, meaning any other competitors, you will not forsake them for others who would want to compromise your marriage? Now, there's many other things we could say there, but that, those are some things I think of when I think of, how do you know you love someone with the type of love that you should marry them? Jesus has been preparing the disciples for his soon departure. Really, he's just a few hours out from doing that, from his crucifixion. The disciples can't imagine life without him, so Jesus loves these men, as John makes very clear back in chapter 13. Not only is he leaving, but he has told them that one of them is going to betray him and that their leader, Peter, is going to deny him. Now to these men who are fearful and troubled about the fact he's leaving them. He speaks to them about their love for him. We see this in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so, actually before that, I don't know if the true statement was there before that, but the true statement for this passage is, here's what hopefully we'll get from this passage. Those who love Jesus, keep his word, are indwelt by the Spirit with the Father and Son and have the peace of Christ in their hearts. Those who love Jesus keep his word, are indwelt by the Spirit with the Father and Son, and have the peace of Christ in their hearts. So verse 15 is where Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, you guys are upset that I'm leaving. I've told you not to let your hearts be troubled by believing in God and believing also in me in the same way. Believing or trusting in me is not the only concern you should have for your hearts in my absence. If you really do believe in me, you will love me, he says. Because the sure way to know if you love me is if you keep my commandments. So in other words, loving Jesus is not optional. It's the lifeblood, the heart of true faith in him. As Paul calls it in Romans, it's the obedience of faith. The obedience that faith produces. So let's ask ourselves right up front here. Good question. Do you love Jesus? Do you keep his commandments? Or as he'll say later, do you keep his word? That's how you can know. Are your desires, your decisions and deeds increasingly shaped by and being conformed to his word? Are you eager to know him more, spend time with him? Does it hurt you, your heart to sin against him? So that you seek forgiveness and reconciliation with him? Does it hurt you to dishonor him? Do you love to honor him? Do you think of him often? Is he often in your thoughts? Often in your words? Keep that before you as we continue on. In verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus isn't saying here that his followers' love for him uh, earns or merits the gift of of this helper, the Spirit from the Father. He is telling his disciples who have true faith in him, hopefully, what he is going to do for them as a consolation and help in his absence. He's going to send them the Spirit, the helper. So who is this helper of whom he also calls the Spirit of Truth? Now if we didn't know this already, you go down to verse 26, we read it, it says he's the Holy Spirit. So helper, Spirit of Truth, Holy Spirit, all the same person. If you've been around Christian teaching for a while, you probably have heard that our the Bible teaches there is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The early church used the word you don't find in the Bible, the word Trinity, you don't find that word in the Bible, but it's a word... You don't find in the Bible that teaches the truth that is in the Bible, that is, that God, our one God, is God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John's gospel, especially chapters one and fourteen through sixteen, are really teach a lot about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being the one God. God, being one God, is triune God. He's not three gods. It doesn't mean he's one God who puts on different masks three different masks, but one God who is tripersonal, a God who is triune. If you can't understand that, that means I explained it pretty well, because if I explained it well, you should know you can't comprehend it. It's not irrational, It's just we just can't understand how that can be. How can be one God? These, they all share the nature of being God. They're all, they all have the Godness together, one Godness, but they're three separate persons. They're not the same people, but they're one God. How can that be? I love the fact that God is mind-blowing, but th- we would never make this up unless we didn't see it in the scripture, which we do, so we have to teach it. It's difficult to find one English word that captures the scope of the the word that's translated helper in this text. So different Bible texts translate it other ways, like advocate or counselor. The older word you may have heard from the King James Version was comforter, and that's back when comforter meant to strengthen or to encourage. Now when you hear that word, you think of a quilt. If that helps you think of the Holy Spirit, then okay. Okay. The word means one who helps by consoling, encouraging, or mediating on behalf of somebody. It originally was used in legal settings, which is where the idea of advocate comes from, but it meant more of a friend, not, not like a lawyer. Lawyers can be friends, but, but probably helps us think more of a friend who, of who helps you in legal situations. Some think it would be best to just use the, the English version of the original word. The original word is parakletos. Unfortunately, the way we pronounce it when we anglicize it, or we, when we use it in an English form, it's paraclete. Which sounds too, too much like parakeet to um, use of the Holy Spirit, so we won't do that. So what else does Jesus say about the, help, the helper? Well, he calls him another helper. So who is the helper that makes him another helper? And if you know your Sunday school answer, it's Jesus. Right. Guys are on ball. So the helper, the spirit of truth, will come to continue Jesus' ministry of encouragement consoling consolation he will intercede for them he will be jesus jesus representative and he'll continue jesus work as jesus calls him the spirit of truth jesus had just referred to himself as the truth back in john fourteen six. the way of the truth and the life john said back in the prologue chapter one that jesus glory was that of the only son from the father who is full of grace and truth Jesus said, if you abide in his word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the Spirit would continue Jesus' ministry of truth to to the world. In a world that thinks we all have our own personal truths, we're all free to make up our own truth. Uh, We need to know that the truth is very personal. It's just only in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where we find the only infallible truth, and the fullness of truth is in Jesus. And so the Spirit reveals the truth as it's recorded recorded in the scriptures, and opened his hearts and minds to the truth of Jesus. He's all about truth. Jesus also said the helper, that is a Spirit, would be with them forever. So he will be with them forever. He'll never leave them, which is what they're concerned about Jesus himself leaving now. But Jesus will return to them in the person of the Spirit in that sense. He said the world can't receive the Spirit because it doesn't see him or know him. You can't see the Spirit He's invisible, but they, he means they can't perceive his work. They can't understand him. They, they, they don't know when he's at work. They couldn't rightly, and just as they couldn't rightly know Jesus or understand him, even though they could see him in the flesh. So Jesus said the disciples know the helper, since he dwells with them and will be in them. So the spirit was with them as he worked through Jesus. So although they had much more to receive the spirit, after Jesus' death and resurrection, they were already getting to know him through Jesus. Which takes us to verse 18, where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. They're God's children, so he's, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, in the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. He promises he's not going to leave them as orphans. He says he'll come to them. By this, he might be referring to his post-resurrection appearances. So, so for 40 days, he appears to them uh, several times before he leaves. But he could also be referring to the day when he sends the Spirit to them to indwell them because the Spirit will be with them throughout history. And through that, Jesus' presence will be with them forever. So he probably means that as well, if not the main meaning. In just a little while, Jesus, he says, in just a little while, like a few hours from then, he'll be killed on the cross. Three days later, he'll be raised from the dead. They will see him in just a little while, meaning in those days when he dies and is resurrected. The world will not see him. He will only show himself to those who have believed. Then the Spirit comes and they will see him, in a sense, spiritually. They'll see him at work, they'll be aware of his working, they'll they'll be very conscious of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus lives, they also will live. Not only will they not be abandoned by Jesus, they will live by being spiritually united with him. His life will be their life. So Paul says in one place, Jesus is our life. And in Galatians 2.20, it's not on the screen, but I'll read it for you. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As is true of much of Jesus' teaching here, they won't get this till after he is raised and sends the Spirit to indwell them. That's why he says what he says in verse 20. In verse 20, he says, In that day, the day that the Spirit is given, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What? How can that make sense? Well, it's when the disciples read the Spirit they, they really understood that they couldn't grasp before about the things Jesus taught and did. Later, Jesus tells them that the Spirit will guide them into all the truth about him. In this verse, Jesus says that when he comes to them, they will understand that he is in the Father, so he is spiritually united with the Father, that they are in him, they are spiritually will be united to him, through the Spirit, and that he is in them. It is the Spirit who unites Jesus' followers to him and enables Jesus to dwell in them. So even though they don't fully understand this, what he means now, they will when they receive the Spirit. So He, te- I, he puts a lot of energy in teaching them things they have to put on hold that they can't understand until later. But we, we do because we get it, and they, fortunately at that point they didn't get it. So if today, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've looked to Him to be your, your life, your forgiveness of sins, the one you will be with forever, if you've trusted Him to save you, be your Lord, you have not just adopted a religion that's called Christianity. You've been miraculously united to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And He is now in you through the Spirit. That's, why you have an indestructible eternal life because you have in you the one who put to death death he put death to death he destroyed death who is the resurrection and the life and since Jesus is in his father and you are in him you are in the triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit I'm not making this up it's in the Bible you can see it there Then verse 21, Jesus picks back up where, he st- where we started today with verse 15. In verse 21, he says, "Who has my commandments, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him." So Jesus says, "The one who has his, his commandments, who owns his commandments, who is, said, "Yeah, I, I take Jesus' word to be my life." The one who has his commandments and keeps them is the one who loves him. Why does he repeat this again? Because he just said this a few verses ago. Because I believe he does because now that he has begun teaching them about the role of the Holy Spirit, they can have more hope that he will continue with them and that they may be able to actually keep his commandments. I appreciate what St. Augustine wrote. He said this, How then does the Lord say, If you love me, Keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter. When He says this, so of the whole, when He says this of the Holy Spirit, since without Him we can neither love God nor keep His commandments. Without the Spirit, we can't love God or keep His commandments. How can we love so as to receive Him, since without Him we cannot love at all? Or how shall we keep the commandments so as to receive Him, since without Him we have no power to keep them? So the one who loves Jesus is loved by the Father. If you love his Son, the Father loves you because Jesus loves his greatest and first love is the Son. He loves the Son more than anything in creation, anything in the universe. He's all, he always has loved his Son first. So if you love his Son, he loves you. So the hottest, most, most intense love in the universe is within the Trinity. Jesus will love that one who loves him and is loved by the Father and will reveal himself to them. So I need to ask you again. I need to ask myself again. Do we love Jesus? Do you keep his word? Are your desires, decisions, and deeds being increasingly shaped by his word? Is he often in your thoughts? throughout the day, do you talk of him often? Think of him a lot? Do you love to spend time with him? Do you love, do you want to know him more? Do you love Jesus? Verse 22, Judas, and he's really glad that John put these next two words, not Iscariot, so there was another Judas, but he was a good guy, said to him, Lord. How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answers by saying, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So he can't understand how Jesus the Messiah won't immediately manifest or reveal himself to the world, but only to the disciples. He doesn't get that. Because the concept that they had of the Messiah was that when he would come, he would defeat Israel's enemies set up the capital in Jerusalem and establish his kingdom there, ruling the nations from his throne. So what Judas and the others don't get is how can it be that Jesus will reveal himself only to the disciples and not to the world? Behind this is the question, how can this be the way Messiah's kingdom will be set up? You're going to set up your kingdom and, and the world's not even going to see it? How can that be? In fact, the disciples still are thinking this way up to... Right before Jesus leaves, because right before he leaves, they say, Hey, Jesus, um, is, is this time... Well, I'll, I'll read it from Acts 1. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus answers. He says to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you're not going to get a schedule of events from a date set from the Father. You're not going to get those things. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you carry out the task of being my witnesses among all the ethnic groups on earth. So why does Jesus answer Judas this way? Because before Jesus fully establishes his kingdom on earth he's going to raise up clusters of people clusters of people so you're a cluster of people globally who are already living as his kingdom people in a world that is still hostile to him these people will not be identified by using worldly power to advance Christ's kingdom they will show the world the goodness and truth and, of King Jesus by loving him which means they, they will keep his word, his teaching, and his truth. In other words, Jesus, Jesus and the Father want to display for the world their heart of love through their, peop- through their people before the world, before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in a world still hostile to them. Jesus says such people will be loved by God the Father and the Father and Son will make their home with him that's the same word back back up in in John 14 one or two where he says in my father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places is that same word there so they will make their home with him and that's why John writes in his first letter our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ because by the spirit they will be with these Jesus-loving word-keepers, Father and Son, that's why in John's first letter he said this, Father and Son will come to be with Jesus' people through the Spirit. So we we have the Trinity as our dwelling, which is amazing. So what is a church, anyway? What is a church, what is a church? Is it a group that advances worldly political agendas? Is it an organization that provides religious goods and services? Is it a group of people who hold outdated moral principles like a museum? No, a church is a community of those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God, who are miraculously united to him, and miraculously enabled to love him and keep his word by the indwelling spirit by whom they also have fellowship with the Father and the Son. so here we go again Jesus says if you love me you'll keep my word so I have to ask us again in case we were still wondering about this question do you love Jesus do you keep his word are your desires decisions and deeds being increasingly shaped by his word does it hurt your heart sin against him so that you seek forgiveness and reconciliation with him do you think and speak of him often? Do you long to know him and spend time with him more? Does this give you joy to honor him and to please him? When Jesus states it negatively in verse 24, he says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Negatively stated, the one who doesn't love Jesus doesn't keep his words. He's very clear. And if someone wants to assert they don't have to love Jesus in order to know God, Jesus once again says that, because he said this over and over and over and over and over again before this place, that his word, he declares, did not originate with him, but is the Father's word who sent him. No one can claim true faith in God who doesn't love Jesus or keep his words. So Jesus, Father, you can't divide them and say, I'll pick one over the other. I think Jesus is a nicer guy, I'll I'll choose him. No, it's Jesus and the Father together with the Spirit. You've got to have the whole Godhead. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, there he equates him to the Helper, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here Jesus directly identifies the Helper, the parakletos, with the Holy Spirit. He says the Father will send him in Jesus' name. In other words, just as Jesus only says and does what truly reveals the Father's character and will, So the Holy Spirit will only do what reveals the character and truth of Jesus Christ. In my name, he'll send the Spirit. The Spirit will represent Jesus, and he's all about Jesus. He's obsessed with Jesus. He takes every opportunity to to glorify Jesus, to make him known. Jesus is assuring them that he will continue teaching them through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will teach them everything they need to know about Jesus, the Spirit will, and will enable them to recall everything he said, so this will, this would will be helpful in their writings of the New Testament. That's how we got a New Testament. So they they can quit taking notes now because they don't understand most of what he's saying anyway. And he'll give them total recall later. So disciples, just put your pencils down and just listen. What does the Spirit do now that we have? Now that we have the New Testament. So how how what's what does he do now? We've got we've got it here, from Matthew to Revelation. Well, he, he illumines the minds and hearts of those he indwells so that we can understand it. It doesn't mean he just gives us like instant understanding because some things are very hard to understand. It does mean that we are able to grasp things that we didn't grasp before in our spiritual deadness and believe them. Because now we have life and we have the light of, of Christ and the Spirit who can help us to understand things, even though we still have to work hard to understand things. scriptures verse 27 peace so here's another way that they can survive his absence he says peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid in a world that is not friendly to Jesus his word or his ways how can his followers not be anxious and fearful Jesus repeats what he said back in in 14.1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And he adds, don't let them be afraid. Because there will be many things that would make their hearts troubled or fearful. He promises to leave them peace. In fact, he gives them his peace. So what characterizes Jesus' peace? It's not as the world gives. In Jesus' Jesus' day, there was the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, which was obtained and upheld by the military. And today there's still a, a monument to that called the altar of peace. And it's like, okay, that didn't work. We still have an altar to it, but it's not the peace Jesus is talking about. The world's versions of, of finding peace today include just getting out from under your the trouble you're in. So just flee it, uh, run away from it, get out of it. That's one way. Or denying the trouble you face. Just deny that you're in trouble and... and you won't feel the pain of it, or, or uh, deceiving yourself about it, about the trouble you're in, or self-medicating with whatever numbs your mind or heart, or mind-emptying meditation. Now, some of these things can be helpful if they're used in the right way, but, but Jesus, Jesus is not talking about any of those things. Jesus says, in contrast to the ways the world gives peace, it's his peace. So what is his peace? Well, at the fundamental level, our lack of peace is due to the fact that we don't have peace with God. That's the beginning of our loss of peace. There's no human remedy for that, but Jesus, through his death on the cross, has accomplished for us peace with God. So that all who trust in him have peace with God. We no longer are hostile toward him. We and his just judgment against us has been satisfied by Christ's death and our in our place to bear the penalty of our all of our rebellion against God, all of our shameful treatment of him and our bad attitudes toward him. Indeed, Jesus is our peace, as as Jesus as Paul writes in, in Ephesians two, He is our peace. He is our peace. Those who have peace with God can also have the peace of God even in the midst of threatening and fearful circumstances. So if you don't have Philippians 4, 6 through 7 memorized, do it now. Here here it is. Get it down. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So back in October of 2017, last year, I was going in for brain surgery to have installed uh, some electronic hardware in my brain to help mitigate Parkinson's symptoms, and that was scary to me. I was, I was really anxious and really scared uh, about having things stuck in my brain and not knowing how it was going to end up. But you prayed for me, and I experienced the peace of Christ incredibly. It had to be a peace of Christ. There was no other explanation I had for it, because I... I'm there prepped for surgery, and and I'm just like totally at peace. And hearing uh, songs in my head, and it was great. We actually had a Christian chaplain come to us and pray for us at that time. It was like, where'd that come from, this hospital? Peace of Christ is a good thing. And so if you're a Christian today, you have access to the peace that only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can give. What are you troubled about that you need Jesus' peace to endure? What are you afraid of? You can ask for Jesus' peace, the very peace he had when he faced the torture and shame of his enemies and the cross. He had the power to toast him, call down his father's help from his father. He just endured it. He had peace because he trusted God's plan, his plan, he and his father's plan. Verse 28, he said, You heard me say to you, I'm going away. And I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. So if the disciples loved Jesus, they would have rejoiced that he's going to the Father who he says is greater than him. What does that mean? He is greater in one way because Jesus is in his humbled state having taken on our humanity in all its weakness and being mortal. The Father exists in glory, with, which Jesus had with him in eternity past before he came to live as a man. So they should rejoice he's going to be, to be restored to his former glory with the Father. But saying that the Father is greater than, than he cannot mean that he's a lesser God or he's a created being or he's, he's not God. Because John has made it really clear throughout this whole gospel, many times he's made it very clear that Jesus is God. He's not just a helper God. He is God with God the Father. <clears throat> so you can't take it out of context and make it mean that. And also, another reason he says the Father is greater than I, the Father is always the sender. Jesus, the Son, is always the one sent. Jesus said back in John 13:16, the messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So the Father, Son, and Spirit uh, work together, but Father always sends, and, and uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus and the Father always send the Spirit. So the Father and Son are equal in essence, but the Son submits in function. So he's greater in that sense. He's, he's so to speak, the lead God. He takes the lead role. He's the fountain of of the Godhead, but they're all God together. So they're all equal in their being, but they're different in their function. He says in verse 29, Now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place you may believe. The reason Jesus has told them about his return to the Father is so that when he does return, they may believe in him as one who knew what was coming, he was doing everything according to plan. We sometimes say the, the Father is the author of the plan. The Son is accomplished the plan. The Spirit applied the plan. Applied to the Son accomplished. And then he says in verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. So any part of the plan included his betrayal, and part of the plan included his betrayal by, by his own, but who was being used by the ruler of this world, who is Satan. He doesn't have access to the sinless Jesus because he has any claim on him. He has no claim on Jesus. Jesus has no sin. He can't make any claim to Jesus at all. But because it is part of the Father's plan, Jesus does as the Father has commanded him. And Jesus wants the world to know that he loves the Father. It's not cosmic child abuse, some, some accuse it of being, for his death on the cross, it was in love together they, they planned this, and he's carrying it out because he loves the father, not because the father is an abusive dad who's punishing his son. The plan of salvation is grounded in the love of the persons of the Trinity for one another. The reason any of, you, any of us are saved today is because the father loved the son, and his father and son loved the spirit of God. And the overflow of the love of the Trinity is why we're saved, not because of anything less than that. It was out of the overflow of this intra-Trinitarian love, that's a big phrase, intra-Trinitarian love, I can say it, that the Father sent the Son to take on a human nature so he could obey as a man for us, die in our place for our sins, be raised, return to the Father, So Father and Son could send the Spirit to unite us to Christ, granting us all his saving benefits and empowering us to be Jesus' witnesses to the world so that many could be saved and be immersed in the love of our triune God. If you're saved, you're saved into the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for one another. Most deep, intense love in the universe. We are now the sent ones to carry out that work. Those who love Jesus keep His Word, are indwelt by the Spirit, with the Father and Son, and have the peace of Christ in their hearts. Let's pray. Father, we sung today, is anyone worthy to open the scroll of setting up a kingdom on earth? We long for that day when the worthy one, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Son of God, the one sent by the Father into the world, we long for that day when he returns and we can be with him sin-free, corruption-free forever until that time, Father, you have sent us through the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the helper, to represent Jesus on earth, to show your love on earth and to declare the way that you that people can enter into the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Helper, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our help that apart from Jesus we can do nothing and unless you united us to him we would not have access to his mighty saving power and all that he is for us in you, so thank you for uniting us to Jesus and thank you Father for sending your son to bear our sins to rescue us, to give us life and your love forever. Amen.